Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. If you just read the bio for Dr. Steve, host of Weird Medicine on Sirius XM 103 and made popular by two really comedy shows, Opie and Anthony and Ron and Fez, you would have thought that this guy was was a bit of, uh, you know, a, a clown. I've got diphtheria. It's Weird Medicine, a bonus episode. First and still only uncensored medical show in the history of broadcast radio, now a podcast. I'm Dr. Steve, and this is a show for people who had never listened to a medical show on the radio or the internet. If you have a question you're embarrassed to take to your regular medical provider, if you can't find an answer anywhere else, give us a call. 347-766-4323. That's 347-POOHEAD. Most importantly, we are not your medical providers. Take everything in with a grain of salt. Don't act on anything you hear on this show without talking it over with your doctor, nurse practitioner, practical nurse, physician assistant, pharmacist, chiropractor, acupuncturist, <laughs> good lord, acupuncturist, sorry, Dr. Scott, yoga master, physical therapist, clinical laboratory scientist, registered dietitian, or whatever. All right, please don't forget stuff.drsteve.com stuff.drsteve.com and um, I just decided to do Cameo so you can go to cameo.com I think slash weird medicine or just search for weird medicine or Dr. Steve it's five bucks and out of that I make 350 so I'm just goofing around with it uh, for now if I get enough of them I'm going to raise the price <laughs> I got 10 right off the bat so I think that might have that might have taken care of all the demand but we'll see Anyway, I'll answer your hypothetical science and medical questions and basically say anything you want me to. Uh, don't forget uh, noom.drsteve.com, noom, n-o-o-m.drsteve.com. If you want to lose weight with me, uh, it's not a diet. It's a it's a uh, psychology program that changes your relationship with food. Noom.drsteve.com. Get 20% off and two weeks free if you try it from there. And then uh, don't forget backpain.drsteve.com. All that is is a link to the um, uh, uh, inversion table that I bought, but it has changed my life. So if you have problems, talk over with your primary uh, health care provider. But if you're interested in getting an inversion table, I can vouch for this one. Anyway, uh, today on this bonus episode, we have a surprise guest, an electronic musician who will play a cut from his new AP and afterward discuss a few COVID-related questions. This was recorded over a month ago, so some of the pandemic info is old, but what the hell. You're listening to Weird Medicine. Today, we have with us my friend Tristan Kaneshka, a.k.a. Metamether, as he's known to his fans. Metamether is an experimental electronic music project that explores songs developing along distinct movements, drawing from synthwave and industrial music as much as it pulls from classical forms. And his EP is hitting the net and wherever you get your EPs from. Very soon it's called Tachogrammatus. 
And uh, the first or one of the cuts is called New Cannons. It's releasing uh, very soon. Tristan, I've been wanting to have you on the show forever. Thanks for being here, man. I'm super psyched to be here. Thanks. So that was take three. Hopefully I got it right this time. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so I first met you at MoogFest um, several years ago, and we had sort of this core group of people that coalesced around this. It was just so strange how it happened. Um, I, I had put out on Twitter that I was going to be at MoogFest, and one of my listeners from this show... Uh, said, oh, dude, I'm going to be there, too. Let's get together. And I'm like, oh, please, no, not, okay. We, you know, maybe we could meet somewhere and I'll buy you a beer because, you know, you just never know. So uh, we met at the, I, I don't know if it was 808 State or it was one of those, but it was at the Armory in Durham. Right. And um, we ended up being really good friends to the point where, I mean, I talked to John, his name is John Field, and I talked to him probably once or twice a week. And why, he brought his girlfriend, and then uh, we sort of ran into a couple other people, uh, Jennifer Arango, who's also a musician, and her friend uh, Giselle Quadros Roberts, who is probably the most knowledgeable person in hardware synthesizers I've ever seen. And uh, from there, we just sort of coalesced this group. And then all of a sudden, there you were. So, and I'm like, who is this dude with the cargo pants? And, <laughs> and I had no idea that I thought you were a journalist or something. I had no idea at that time that you were uh, such an accomplished musician. So if you don't mind, enlighten me. Uh, maybe this won't be interesting to anyone listening to this, but how you ended up uh, in, in our little group of people because it's been interesting just trying to figure out where all these people came from because the group has gotten larger and larger every year man uh i wish i could actually like trace it back i I don't even remember like uh i remember connecting with jennifer kind of early on because i think we realized that we were both based in new york so we were like oh okay we definitely have to get together but as for the writing thing actually i was i think i i have kind of uh, dipped my toe into like music journalism as well. Okay. Um, but there, I don't think I was doing a story per se. Um, I did, I did end up like interviewing, um, uh, Suzanne Chiani, who I can't remember if she even played that year, but it was, was the doing, next like, year. I think it was the next year. But she yeah, did the so. uh, cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Mm. And she was doing all this quad sound stuff, which was just really amazing. Yeah. That was just blew me away. I mean, she does all the old school Buchla stuff, which I'm a yeah. huge fan of. If anybody doesn't know what we're talking about, there is a East Coast and West Coast synthesis thing, and there's a subtractive synthesis was sort of developed on the East Coast and additive synthesis on the West. And Don Buchla was one of the uh, early proponents of that. And Suzanne Chiani is really a, a pioneer as much as... Um, um, gosh, anybody that I could think of, even um, oh, like Sweet- Martin Sabotnik. Or yeah, oh, yeah, Sabotnik. I remember uh, listening to him when I was a kid, and also, um, oh gosh, why am I? I'm having one of those senior moments. Switched on Bach, um, Wendy Carlos. Yeah, Wendy Carlos. Thank you. And yeah. Wendy Carlos was my first exposure, other than the Beatles, which I didn't realize what those sounds were, to, uh, you know, synthesized music. And she came out with that, you know, iconic switched on Bach that blew everybody away. And yeah, I mean, I, I would watch uh, Clockwork Orange, like, as a teenager. like Just to hear the soundtrack. And, yeah, and I mean, the soundtrack just blew me away. Yeah, you know? um, yeah. But honestly, like, my first you know, foray into electronic music, like, my first discovery of it was just playing Super Mario Brothers in, like, 1985 <laughs> or whatever, you know? And, you know, all video game music back then, of course, was, like, electronic music. So sure. that was really my first entrance point. Had to be. And that was, as far as creating electronic music, that was actually my first foray because I was involved in a company called Screenplay, and I programmed all the music and sound for their um, uh, for their games, and they used a thing on the Commodore 64 called the SID chip, which was a true, you know, synthesizer. Mm. And because I had taken electronic music in college from Roger Hanay, which that's a name a lot of people don't know, but he was a contemporary classical composer that was an early adopter of electronic music, and he had a 
a Moog System 55. Anybody who doesn't know what we're talking about, think Keith Emerson, except this was the factory version. And the System 55, big giant synthesizer like the one you would see on the cover of Switched on Bach or something like that. And I trained under him for a couple of semesters. And so uh, I was the only person that had any clue what envelopes were or LFOs and stuff. And so I, you know, I ended up learning machine code and writing electronic music on the Commodore 64. So. Yeah, like, um, you know, it, it wasn't the first thing that I did, which I just had like a general MIDI kind of thing back in high school, you know, with it's kind of these, uh, you know, <laughs> the, the standard sounds that everybody knows. But there was this uh, technology called uh, trackers, like mod plug and impulse tracker, which was kind of like a piano roll. But uh, you would have to enter in like these numerical values and the piano roll would go up and down. So it was just like and it was kind of like. I feel like it's kind of like what you're talking about a little bit, like this machine line code, almost <laughs> like super unintuitive. I mean, it would really freak people out. I think today, like oh, just, it looks scary. Yeah, I had uh, whole matrices just full of these um, hexadecimal numbers that I had to translate from another program that I wrote where I would put the notes in and that would spit these out and I'd make these matrices. And yes, it would just go down and read each one in sequence. That's crazy. Yeah, it, it, it seems like <laughs> so much easier like, now. Oh my god, yeah, it's, it's crazy. I mean, when I got back to Ableton, I almost had to like relearn like a piano roll, which yeah. is like I just had thought about music for so long in terms of this up and down thing and, you know, you would you would enter in volume and pan in terms of like numbers, you mm -hmm. know, like like who wants to do that though? Yeah. <laughs> but the people that took the time to do it, you know, made some incredible things. Wendy Carlos uh, didn't have the luxury of digital recording, so she did everything on tape. And that synthesizer that she used at the time was so unstable that she could only do two or three notes at a time, from what I hear. And then she had to stop and retune it and then uh, start all over again. So the fact that she was able to make cogent music like that must have been mind-bogglingly, mind, it must have been just the most stultifying thing in the world, but she had the... the uh, drive to just make sure that it happened and you know to do a whole album like that i can't even imagine and especially bach too which is like you know yeah. it's it it's the well-tempered clavier right? right so it's like it has to be so it has on to tune. be perfect yeah, it's, yeah so let's talk about your music so you're doing uh all hardware all software or hybrid it's a hybrid right now um basically my studio setup consists of an ableton a suite with a ton of VST plugins. Uh, I have a Nord Lead 2X um, and a Push, and one of these, um, what is it, the uh, the Bukla overlay for the, um, uh, what is it, the... Uh, oh, the, the, uh, the I know what you're talking about. The Morph. Sen the uh, Morph, right. I had one and of actually, those. And actually, today is an amazing day because I'm about to get my first Moog synthesizer. Oh, what are you getting? I got, I'm getting the Sub 37. Oh, okay. Which, I'll give you one which of these. to me is a bit of a... It's kind of like. <laughs> no, it's, it's a good a entry uh, to the Moog universe. Exactly. And it kind of helps me straddle the world between digital and analog because they do have an app for it, which I think is going to be, you know, really kind of fitting into where I'm kind of at. You know, yeah. I'm not ready to fully go on with the semi-modular stuff, although I was looking at that too, like the, the matriarch or the grandmother, you know. Yep. Yep. Uh, and I... <laughs> This is just an aside. I passed on the matriarch because I couldn't get it to make the sounds that uh, the quality of sounds that I could get the uh, grandmother to make. Really? And I just wonder if, well, maybe it's operator error, but I just love my grandmother. It's such a great sound. That year, like, I feel like everybody bought that. There was a Moogfest discount and just, it was just going off the shelves. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, that's where I bought mine. So, um, Let's talk a little bit about being a musician in the age of COVID. So you were a working musician, and uh, then COVID hits. So first off, when you perform, are you performing your music mostly? And if you do, what kind of venues were you in, and now what the hell? Yeah, basically, I was just starting to play out shows. Um, I had played a really awesome like album release party for my first album and had kind of been working on songs with the second album, which I previewed there. Um, that was a super small show, but kind of I had a show lined up 
you know, down in uh, North Carolina where we all met up. Um, I was also going to see if I could play a show at the Berlin Loop Conference, you know, just kind of set up really ad hoc. I'm sure that kind of stuff would happen all the time there, you know, just kind of collaborate and jam with some musicians, right? Yeah. Um, most of my professional work is based in video post-production, actually. And last year, I had started dabbling into making music for pictures. So that I see as more of a uh, like an easier revenue stream potentiality than just kind of playing out shows, right? With where obviously, like you know, we're at we're at such low capacities here in New York that shows. I'm not really even sure if they're gonna return by the end of the year. Wow. So when you say music for pictures, you're talking about film. Yeah, just kind Soundtracks. of doing like you know, you know, I'm all already editing video, and you know, mm-hmm. so I'm already on the post production end of it. So it's not too much of a leap for me to just slug my music in there. And if the client likes it, they can kind of license it, and we can kind of go from there. Yeah, you know, that's really smart because um, uh, Kubrick used to uh, just throw whatever music in, and there was actually a soundtrack for 2001 that ended up not getting used. Because when when Kubrick put in uh, Strauss's Blue Danube for that sequence where they're going from the Earth to the Moon, um, he he ended up liking it so much he just kept it because he couldn't get it he couldn't see the images without hearing that anymore. So for you to just throw your music in there, you know you know they're going to end up using it at least part yeah, of the time. We, <laughs> yeah, we we call it rough cut love for a reason. Oh, is that? Yeah. <laughs> There's a term yeah. for it. That's great. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> So, um, Taco Grammatus is your third album. Yeah. And it's got five cuts on it. And uh, tell us a little bit about the inspiration that went into this briefly, because that's a really hacky question. But, uh, and then I want to play some of it. And if, if there anything interesting about the, uh, the hardware or the software set up in this first cut? So there's a uh, trumpet that features pretty prominently in the cut. Um, I got that from Spitfire Audio. They have this free VST called Trumpet Fields. Um, I was looking for this perfect kind of Miles Davis-y kind of drawn out, a little bit reverberated tone. Like bitches and, brew kind of sound. Yeah, totally. Like sketches of S- Spain kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, and I just couldn't find it because I kept finding like all these like big band kind of brassy, like really in your face kind of stuff. Um, I was also referencing like um, uh, Steve Hassel, who has this amazing, he's kind of picking up from where Miles Davis left off. Um, but um, yeah, I just found this and it really kind of opened up the track for me. Um, it's a bit of an aggressive cut. So I kind of like this interplay between the electronics and the sort of organic elements. Um, as far as the album itself, uh, Taco Grammatus was kind of like, uh, you know, I just created this kind of entity that visits the earth and starts talking about, you know, he delivers these five tracks and uh, they're all of the, and all of them are kind of used to start talking about our world and how it could kind of be better. Okay. They're all kind of uh, glimpses into how we could be a better society. Yeah. Um, so, the, so the first one, I feel like New Canons is all about like, if art is going to be the kind of savior of society and our way of kind of getting to a better tomorrow, then I think we have to expand what our notions are of the canons, right? And that might mean that some of the canons have to be actually thrown away entirely. And, you know, and, you know, it's not like I'm naming any specific artists, but I think, you know, we're living in such a specific time that, you know, we just need to be listening to much more adventurous music in general, you know, totally agree. Um, I mean, to me, I started thinking about like music could be a system of control, right? Or it could be a system of liberation as well. So um, that's kind of that's kind of where my head was at with this one. You know, like the rest of the five tracks kind of go in different directions, and they're kind of like different recommendations of how we could kind of get to a better place. Yeah. Well, demanding that uh, every note be in one of twelve equally tempered, uh, you know. Uh, notes in a scale is a form of control. Yeah. There's a guy actually, I just read on a pitchfork. He made his own sort of uh, microtonal uh, DAW, which is like kind of amazing. If you want to like look at it. For people who don't know, it's a digital audio workstation. We're using a lot of jargon. Also VST is a stat is a abbreviation for virtual studio technology. Those are just, they're basically apps that you can plug into your, 
music generation app to do different effects or sounds and stuff like that. So we may yeah. have some people who don't know what the hell we're talking about. Yeah. So, for example, if you wanted to have that classic Moog sound, you could actually get a pretty faithful rate production uh, through Arturia. They have an amazing uh, suite of you know digital synths, and one of them is the Mini Moog, which is a classic. Yep. yep. And it's very inexpensive. You can save yourself about three grand by just buying the uh, the the app. And of course, there are space considerations in New York, right? So. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Now, um, speaking of microtonal type uh, scales, have you ever heard of a guy named Harry Parch? I love Harry Parch. Oh, you do? I, I, yeah, dude. I, oh. I, I I saw a concert of his music performed because I think he's passed away since. Yeah. Yeah, he was old when I heard about him back in the 70s. I think he died in 74. So he yes. may have already been dead by the time that I uh, discovered him. When I saw that concert, it just it just really cracked my skull open because yep. I was like, wow, I feel like I haven't heard music before this. I mean, I, I consider that to be one of the formative concerts that I've seen, and that was maybe only within the last five years or so. Okay, well, I knew there was yeah. a reason why we were friends. I'm going to, just for <laughs> a second, I'm going to play two seconds of a Harry Parch piece called Castor and Pollux, which was, um, this guy developed a 42-tone scale, and he also made his instruments, many of them out of uh, instruments of war, like he would take missile warheads and make and make instruments out of them. Let me see if we can get this to play. I'll just I'll just find a snatch of it somewhere in here. There you go. This guy's instruments are amazing too. They're beautiful instruments. Anyway, if you want to check him out, check out uh, Harry Parch. On YouTube, there's a bunch of YouTube stuff about him. So anyway, well, let's listen to uh, new canons from Metamethers. Uh, new, uh, are you calling this an EP or are you calling it an album? Uh-oh, I made you go away. Sorry. There you go. You back? Yeah. Yeah, sorry. Uh, is it an album or EP? You calling it an album? I'm calling it an EP, yeah. Okay. But, you know, yeah. All right. So let's listen to a cut from uh, Metamether's new EP called Tetragrammatus. This is the cut number one called New Canons.
Holy crap. Okay, that's it. I'm throwing all my equipment away. <laughs> I, I, I read a story once where Duke Ellington saw Oscar Peterson playing in a bar, and he said, I'm never playing the piano ever again. That's how I feel after listening to that. That was awesome, dude. Thanks, man. Damn, man. Yeah, it's like uh, I had no idea back in the day, when I mean back in the day, like three years ago, that you were doing this kind of stuff. And uh, when I listened to your last EP, uh, that's that's when I reached out to you. I said, we got to get you on the show. I have so many questions, but I got that's a different podcast. They're all technical questions that would just mm. drive everybody crazy. We should... You know, I, I, Giselle and I talked about doing that kind of podcast where we delve into how did you do this? How did you do that? What what meter was that? How did you do the four over three and all that? But um, we would probably have three. It'd be an awesome podcast. We'd have three listeners. Yeah. But um, I, <laughs> right. I, I have a million questions. But the, the main one is, um, dude, where do you go from here? I mean, how do you how do you I mean? Why aren't you at Moog Fest? You, 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 we were going to have you at Micro Moog Fest. You should be at Real Moog Fest. You know, how, yeah, how does that I mean, happen? Uh, trying. You know, what do like... people have to do to become 808 State or um, Stefan Bodson or something? I mean, what the hell? Is it just putting in the time and then some luck? Or is it all luck? Or is there a is there a method to getting to the place where people kind of know who you are and are demanding to hear you on a larger scale. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, a, a lot of what I've been thinking about recently has been like genres, honestly, like, you know, what there's tangential genres that this is relating to, but I think, you know, if you're not strictly synthwave, right, you're not going on some of these editorial playlists or what have you. So it's kind of like, you know, if people don't sort of know how to categorize you, it's it's difficult to market yourself, right? Yeah. Um, so I mean that could that could be potentially one pitfall. But then again, it's like I have to make music that sounds like me. Do you know what I mean? It's I'm not gonna just make tech house if that's not me, you know? Right. Right. Well, yeah, if you make music that's not you, you're just end up being Millie Vanilli or something. And uh, <laughs> right, you know, it's yeah, just exactly. inauthentic. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, wow, man. That that blew me away. So the money's all in the performance, though, right? Is there any way that you could make a living off of just making EPs in, in 2021? Yeah, I think, like, uh, the music sort of becomes the calling card, but then you could funnel people to, like, merch, which is something that I'm thinking about now. You know, just because I, I have no idea when shows are going to return, and it's kind of like, you know, do you have to be on a, you know, a some, somewhat uh, reputable label to get, you know, yeah. spots at Mugfest and what have you, right? Like, you know, it's just kind of like you're not dealing with the inner circle at that point, right? Because yeah. I'm not signed as such, so. Move to Florida. I'm sure they're doing shows down there tonight. <laughs> yeah, it's true, right? <laughs> like just no masks or anything. Yeah, it was, it was exactly. great. Just whatever. It was, we were down there and it was great. Um, you know, every you, you still had to wear a mask if you went to, like, Walmart or something like that. There are local requirements for wearing masks. But most of the time, uh, all, everything was still open, though. And um, yeah. so I don't know. I've got a lot of friends that are leaving. You live in Manhattan? In Brooklyn, actually. Okay. I, I lived in Manhattan for about, like, 12 or 14 years or something like that. And then I moved to Brooklyn recently. Okay. Yeah, because I, I have... Uh, friends that are moving from Manhattan to Long Island. And I've got friends that are moving from Long Island down uh, to uh, South Carolina just to get the hell out of there. So it's got to come back though, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No? And I, yes. I will say like, I don't know. Uh, you know, New York is generally handling it pretty well. Like we're, we're really, you know, masking up whenever possible, which it's like, you know, it's not that much of an ask, honestly, at the end of the day, right? Just put a piece of cloth over your face. Um, yeah. And it's like, look, if that can save lives, fine. If yep. if we find out five years from now that it didn't really do that much, it's like, well, you just put a mask on your face. It's really not a big yeah, deal. Fair enough. Uh, one of the things that we've been talking about on this show is uh, that if there's a number called the R sub T, uh, which is the number of people in the real world, one person can uh, infect if they are infected. And that includes some People might have uh, immunity and other people's uh, and others not. And the number across the country runs around 1.1. 1. 1. 
And that means that one person can infect 110 and the, you know, I'm sorry, uh, 100 people would infect 110 and so on. And if you can get it down to 0. 0.9, then mm-hmm. 100 people infect 900, which infect 810 and or no, well, 820 and then 810 and 720 and 640 and so on. And so it'll always go down. If People say, well, masks don't work. Well, they don't work all the time. But what if they work 10% of the time? Then you can get right. that R sub T from 1.1 down to below 1, and all of a sudden the cases start to decline rather than increase. And uh, those are the times when masks really make a huge difference. I thought the RT was even higher for COVID. Like it was something, it was lower for like the common flu. No, you're, or, yeah. Am I thinking of you're thinking number? of the R naught. The R sub zero oh. is like 2.4 for COVID. Got the, it. The, and that's what the theoretical number of people that one person will infect in a vulnerable population. And uh, for influenza, it's 1.2, which is why we haven't seen any flu cases this year. Measles, 12. And there's this puke bug going around that's probably got an R-naught R of five because a lot of people are getting it even though they're doing universal precautions for everything else. So it just, just uh, gives you like stomach? Flu- uh, stomach yeah, it's just uh, a puke bug. But yeah, it's yeah. like I was hoping that we would never see one of those again either. We haven't seen any flu this year, and I hate to puke more than anything. I'm, a, I'm a, what they call an emetophobe. You know, I just have a phobia about puking. And when I heard people were still getting this puke bug, even though they're all masked up, I was real. I was disappointed. But that just means that it's our nod is higher than COVID. That's all. Right. So you had some questions. This is a medical show. I understood that you had um, a couple of COVID uh, related questions. And there's a lot of COVID fatigue out there. This is going to be about one of the last uh, shows we're going to do that even mentions COVID, I hope. But good, good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I totally hear that. It's like, you know, it's all anybody could talk about, but, it, it, you know, it's impacted the world in such a crazy way. So. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Um, my first question is, what are the implications for getting the second dose later than recommended, right? Like, so, you know, I was told, okay, come in, like, pretty much three weeks to the dot right. um, to get the second dose, Um is, is there any, like, downside to getting it a little bit later? Probably like not. Um, mm-hmm. The reason that they have to recommend it that way is because that's how they studied it. So okay. when they originally studied the Pfizer vaccine, they said it had to be kept at whatever, negative 140 degrees, because that's what they studied it at. Pfizer wasn't effing around. They wanted to be first to market. So they said if we, if we uh test this and store it at a temperature that we know those microscopic you know lipid um, globules will be stable then then we can get this thing to market quicker and then we can do the next study that says well let's just study it at negative 30 degrees or whatever Uh, likewise when i was in uh, organic chemistry before i went to medical school uh, if you were doing a reaction, let's say a sealed vessel reaction, on Friday, and then you went away for the weekend and came back on Monday, you would have to put in your notebook, let the reaction sit for 48 hours. And then the next person that had to reproduce your 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 experiment had to let it sit for 48 hours, even though there was no reason to do it other than the fact that you had just gone away for the weekend. Now, someone else would have to come back and do another study uh, or another experiment where they didn't do that to see if they could make it more efficient. But uh, to reproduce it, you would have to do that. So it's the same thing here. They studied it at one week and three weeks, and there were reasons why they picked three weeks, but um, they that's how they got their approval, and that's what they got to tell you. Now, if you show up at four weeks, you're probably going to be just as uh, just just as um, protected. But you know, obviously, I can't recommend that because it's it's indicated for three weeks. It's just unch- uncharted territory at that yeah, point. That's right. This whole thing is that's part of the problem with this is there's right. no long term data on anything. We by definition there can't be with a novel virus. And um, and you probably would be fine just because of what we know about how vaccines work. Um, but they have to recommend it at the at the FDA compels them to recommend it at the um, uh, frequency that they got approval for. And that's just because they studied it. If they only studied it in women, it would only be approved for women, that kind of thing. 
Right, right. That makes sense. Yeah. So the main take home is if you're a few days late or even a week late, don't beat yourself up and you probably don't have to start over again or any of that stuff. You just, you know, show up and they'll give you your vaccine and go on your way. Yeah. uh, People in New York are getting vaccinated like pretty well. I mean, we had this kind of debacle with one of the vaccines where they had to be like recalled or something like that. But I think, you know, we're doing pretty well. Um, Like a lot a lot of my friends have their second doses. I have both of mine. Uh, my girlfriend has both of hers. Um, yeah. I heard today I, that 80% of people over the age of 65 in this country have gotten at least one dose. And the death rate in that group of people, which was the 80% of people who died of COVID were in that, were uh, 65 or older, um, has fallen precipitously. So that's good. That's the good news. Yeah. yeah. And uh, they just today opened it up to 16 and above uh, all over the country. So today right. is uh, Wednesday the 21st. And I just heard that announcement just before we went on the air. Yeah. Um, yeah. It'll be interesting to see like how quickly we can get to herd immunity and kind of beat these uh, variants. You yeah. Know? The variants are the next thing. If the variants are as deadly which they shouldn't be but Mm -hmm. if they are and they completely evade the immunity uh that we have already generated with vaccines and and from infections then it's a whole new pandemic the good news is we already know how to beat its ass and we can do it a lot faster this time because coming up with a variant vaccine doesn't take nearly as long as a novel vaccine true true my second question, it might have almost the same answer as your first one, okay. but, you know, because it's just like what we studied. Yeah. Um, but it would do, are, are there any implications for mixing vaccines? I know that, you know, we don't do that, but it's kind of like, you know, I, I figure the vaccines are somewhat different. So we just kind of don't know how they interact together. Right. But is it kind of just like, well, we haven't studied that? Yeah, kind of haven't studied it. The two MRA, and there have been some people that have accidentally gotten it so you know that they're on top of those and they're watching both moderna and pfizer are probably both contacted those people where that's happened just so that they can watch them over time the two mrna vaccines are very very similar if not identical i haven't seen the sequence but they're very close uh astrazeneca and j and j use a similar vehicle and i don't know how similar the uh the the genetic material is for coding for the um for the spike protein so we'll see but yeah we we just don't know it it should work but um there is this thing called antibody induced um immune enhancement that can be a problem when you have two antibodies that are similar to each other and they actually can promote the infection and so that's why we're recommending that if you start with one vaccine you finish with the other one so far no evidence of any of that happening to anybody so uh we're probably fine but um it's it's wise to just stick with the one for now until we know more you know whichever one you started with just finish it off unless you had one of the single dose vaccines then you don't have to worry about it. yeah when you talk about like seeing the sequence for it like how how is that even presented to you is that just like a g c t yeah. or mm-hmm. like yeah. okay wow yeah and and, and then and can you interpret that in some way can you, you read that like, you certainly yeah. can um those those codons basically code for an amino acid and you can just run you can run that there's a different software uh, that will just tell you which amino acids uh, these things uh, code for and they're even getting software now with quantum computing that will you can take a string of amino acids and it will show you how they folded that's been the biggest problem is that when you make a string of amino acids it will fold into a shape and sometimes those shapes are useful. That's what an enzyme is. It's just a, sh- a bunch of amino acids that fold into a shape that actually catalyze a reaction. And the weird thing is, is that computers can't figure out how it folds. You can tell it the sequence, and it will take the age of the universe for them to figure out how this stupid thing will fold by sampling each electron shell and trying to figure out where it would go at its lowest level. Whereas with quantum computing, you should be able to to collapse that uh, instantaneously. So that's going to be very interesting in the future. And when we have that, we'll be able to design you know, designer enzymes out of protein strings, synthesize them in the lab and use those for things. So hopefully uh, oncology will benefit from those kinds of things as well. It's pretty neat. 
Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, we're talking about technically over my head now at this point. So <laughs> I think everybody's lost. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> half my show. Yeah. Just going over my last. Heads. My last question is about um, a, the decision to make, like, a decision was made to get people through the complete pipeline as opposed to getting more people, like, you know, just getting their first shot. Is there a reason around that? Okay, I see what you mean. So, in other words, you've got uh, 100 vaccines, and you can vaccinate 100 people once and then pray that you can get the other one, or you can vaccinate 50 and make sure you hold the other half for those people to come back. Is that what you meant? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, That's just because the... Uh, again, it was studied that way, and to get to that 100% protection from hospitalization and death, you got to, so far, as far as we know, you got to have the two, uh, the two shots. So it's not really fair to get a bunch of people together, say you got to have two shots, blow your wad on the full 100 people, and then go, whoop, well, we don't have the second shot. So yeah, that, that makes that's a lot why. Of sense. That's why I don't know that it does make sense. I was, you know, it would have been nice if they had done a cohort of Pfizer and Moderna uh, patients where they only gave them one shot and just seen what the hell happened. They could have done that. I mean, they had 30,000 people in that trial. They could have taken, you know, a couple thousand of them and just done that. And, um, you know, there probably were some people in the clinical trial. I was in the Pfizer trial that only showed up for the one vaccine or for the one shot, but they probably didn't come back. If they didn't come back for their second shot, they didn't come back for their blood work. They were probably lost to follow up. So doing it intentionally would have made a lot of sense, but they didn't do it. Maybe they'll do it now. You were in the trial because you're kind of on the front line? Well, what I promised my listeners back in the day was because nobody knew what the hell was going on with this vaccine, and we were all freaking out. I said, listen, if this thing kills me, I'm 65. Who gives a shit? You know, uh, I I will be more than happy to step in front and and take the vaccine and take the hit. Now, it just looks like I was just running in front of everybody because people want to have the vaccine. But at the time, it was it was kind of nerve wracking because you didn't know if this thing was going to make us worse, if we were going to get that antibody uh, immune uh, antibody uh, dependent immune enhancement or any of it. You know, I just wanted to. I was so sick of this. I wanted to, um, and I don't want to sound so effing noble either, but I just wanted to do whatever I could do to to move things forward. And so, yeah, so I signed up the day we could sign up for the for the vaccine trial. And I'm glad I nice. did. You know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But anyway, well, listen, man, this thing and you fit into the format of the show perfectly because I always like to have guests on and talk to them and then have them ask me questions because it's all about me. But this is a medical mm-hmm. show. And this way we can sort of justify, yeah, we're going to play this guy's music. He's got some questions, too. Um, tell people where they can hear your music. And uh, if you're going to be playing live, plug whatever you want to plug. This is your chance. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, if you go, just go to www.metamither.com. That kind of has, that's, I would call the portal for, you know, all the social links and all the places where you can listen to music. Um, you can type in Metamither into Spotify or Apple Music or Deezer, I guess, or even YouTube. And uh, there'll be new music coming out uh, Friday, which is the 23rd. So, you know, by the time you're listening to this, it might already be out. And um, I'm going to be releasing tracks uh from this album uh one a month so the second one will be out a month from pretty much today and then so on throughout the summer until okay. we get all five tracks out so don't post these tracks you sent me on my website is what you're telling me <laughs> right well i mean i guess you could post the first one right? okay okay if that's okay um yeah and future releases include the political call to action red death blue dawn and the epic slow burn of sinews and singularities the tribal psychedelia of psychoscopic fields. And then you have the the last one that you're releasing is the cathartic crusades on unpaved roads, which yeah. is like a real image. You know, that's cool. For sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like it's instrumental electronic music. Right. So we have to do what we can to evoke uh, images. And, you know, I hope that, you know. It sounds as epic as you know, sure, you sure. Know, no, I was in a I was in a grindcore band at one point, and we had <laughs> titles awesome. like uh, "Ingestion of Crack Whore Giblets" and stuff. You gotta you gotta have <laughs> yeah, the titles yeah, that gotta... go along with the genre, you know. <laughs> exactly. 
Yeah, exactly. All right, it's Tristan not, Kaneshka. It's not going to be uh, cows uh, grazing in a meadow. Exactly, that, right, right, right. <laughs> Uh, my friend Tristan, Tristan Kaneshka, a.k.a. Metamether, that's M-E-T-A-M-Y-T-H-E-R. Thanks for being on the show, man. It was really great having you, and I hope that I can see you at Moogfest again someday soon. I, I, I honestly cannot wait. Thanks so much, Steve. It's and I mean with you being on the stage, but I'll take you just sitting there with us like the rest of the schlumps. Yeah, it could be both, you know. Okay. All right, man. Take care. <laughs> All right. Take care. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good and then a bang in the night and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.